everyone. Welcome back to Speak the Truth Podcast. My name is Matt Tardio. I am your co-host with, well, our other co-host that brought me on the show, Rob Turkla. He's still out fishing, but I figured, you know what would be great to talk about? I haven't seen it in the news, and I want to know why. And I think I know why. I think, I think because it doesn't fit a good narrative. I think the news has basically ignored what happened after U.S. troops pulled out of Afghanistan. What's what's really sad is I think the left would praise what's going on over there, of all things. They would look at it like a failed cause, a failed attempt from the right to help people out and push American democracy on other people and wasting money in a foreign war. And I, and I think that they would use it as a way to celebrate Biden and say, you know what, he got us out of that mess. It was a no-win situation and good good for him. But for some reason, I think even that is so distasteful that everybody has just avoided the subject. You know, we spent 20 plus years in that 20, 20 plus years in that country. Thousands of U.S. lives were lost. Tens of thousands of U.S. troops were wounded, injured. Tens of thousands of Afghan troops were killed. And we left. We 100% left. Most troops that have been to that country would tell you that in the last probably five to ten years, we've, well, maybe in the last five years, we essentially got the Afghan government and the Afghan military to a point where they should have been self-sustainable, where they should have gone out and, and taken more things. And I, for one, agree with that statement. I, for one, agree with the Afghan government needed to step up and do more, that they needed to commit more troops, that they needed to recruit more people, that they had to do more for that fight. Well, I, I say that from personal experience. I say that from personal experience I had while in Afghanistan of going to Afghan generals and telling them that we needed more help in a particular fight and those generals telling us to kiss their ass, they're not committing more troops. So those generals themselves, the Afghan government, was started to fall out. But the one thing that kept those people on track was the presence of U.S. troops in that country. So... I've heard a lot of people say that, well, it's Trump's fault that we pulled out of the country. And, and by the way, I, this, you know, I'm not going to get too deep into this part of it, but I, I am going to give you my opinion because it's personal. It's personal for me and it's a personal for a lot of you guys that are out there watching and gals that are out there watching. I've heard a lot of people say that it's Trump's fault for us leaving. He started the withdrawal process. He was doing all that business. That would be an accurate statement that he started it. But saying that it's his fault that we pulled out is an inaccurate statement. You see, when I'm about to tell you everything that's going on in this country right now, the guy that sits in the Oval Office is what's known as the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. And he's the one that's calling those shots and he's making those decisions. When he was elected, the day he was sworn into office, he could have changed everything and fixed it. He could have, but he chose not to. As a matter of fact, he chose to almost speed the process up in a way that was more destructive than good. We gave up key terrain. We gave up key military compounds. We gave up key locations. There's unofficial reports that would suggest we actually gave the Taliban money in order for to allow the safe passage of U.S. citizens. All of those things, if true, are directly his fault. That's not the fault of the former administration. That's his fault, particularly the part of everybody watching the pullout from HKIA, the hobble. Hamid Karzai International Airport, particularly that portion, 110% his fault. Afghans clinging to airplanes, 110% his fault. So what did we get out of it? What, what is the current state of that country? Because when we left, what the Taliban said, when, when we had this hasty withdrawal, what the Taliban said is it would forgive former Afghan officials and be more inclusive towards women in the future. It said it would even include jobs and education for the Afghan women. 
That's what they claimed. That's what they said. And yet at the same time they were claiming that as everything was going on on the TV, as, as all this stuff was happening on the TV, I'm getting phone calls from people on the ground in that country, local nationals, that are calling me, telling me that they're on their way to the airport with their families. One of those individuals came across a Taliban checkpoint. And about three vehicles in front of him, he saw somebody get ripped out of the car and shot in the head by the Taliban. For what reason? I don't know. Now that was when there was lots of media on the ground, lots of attention in that situation, everything was going on and people were attempting to get to the airport. And I know at least from my personal account that there was a human being ripped out of the car and shot in the head, not, not, but miles away from that airport that was trying to evacuate the country. So that's with all of that media on the ground. I was also getting calls and reports of people hiding in basements, fearing for their lives. I have friends that left their children and their wives to get out of that country and, and basically abandon their families. Like, there's no other way to go about describing it, but they abandoned their families in hopes that they would be able to bring them over afterwards. So out of all this madness and chaos, what is the current state of that country like? Well, according to the UN, an estimated 22.8 million people are projected to be in crisis and emergency levels of food insecurity until March. Why March? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that entire country is frozen over. There's a lot of humanitarian aid getting pumped in that country. We're going to talk about it in a second. Almost 9 million of these people will be at emergency levels of food insecurity. The highest number in the world. The highest number in the world. Half of all children under five are facing acute malnutrition. I, I want you to think about that, right? Like, probably one of the things that pisses me off the most is when I hear people say that they want to nuke the Middle East or we should have just turned the whole place into glass. That is one of the most ignorant statements that anybody could ever make, especially as a human being. All those people in that country are humans. Some of them were raised wrong. Some of them know other, th you know, but a lot of people in that country are human beings and they're decent human beings. I never went without food and I never went without water in that country. I want you to think about that. Me as a white dude in Afghanistan, American soldier fighting the Taliban. I never went without food in that country and I never went without water. I've had people hike up mountainsides to give me food and water. So all you people that are saying that we're going to turn this place into glass, you guys have no hearts. You have no souls. You guys really need to reflect inward. Half of the kids under five facing acute malnutrition. 22.8 million people in crisis right now in that country. The UN political mission in Afghanistan also received credible allegations of extrajudicial killings of at least 50 individuals suspected of affiliation with ISIS-K. All right, so that'd be the Islamic State in Khorasan province. Now, those people are horrible. And I really, personally, that's nothing different than what we were doing as U.S. troops. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Unless we captured them, we wouldn't we would just kill them right away if we captured ISIS-K fighters. So, at least the Taliban killed 50 ISIS fighters. That's nice of them. It's about the only good thing that happened in that country. As of what was reported at this point, 100 former Afghan government officials and security forces, those that worked with U.S. troops, have been killed by the Taliban as reported by the UN. So the UN's getting trickle-down reports. And when you ask yourself, why is there, like, you're like, ah, 100, that doesn't sound like a bad number. But you have to understand that these are numbers, all right, with the Taliban 100% controlling the media. They control cell phones. They, they, they can shut things on and off in that country so nothing gets in or nothing gets out. It's really hard to describe how, like, isolated a lot of that country is unless you've actually been there and walked through it. It is really hard to describe how isolated and, and behind the times that place is until you've been there and you've walked through it. And so a lot of things that are happening in that country are going unreported or are going underreported. I've been told by numerous sources 
inside and outside of that country. All right, so so former Afghan national citizens and Afghan nationals that are currently in that country, that the Taliban was going door to door in cities like Jalalabad and Kabul, door to door, opening them up, and they would pull out people's cell phones and they'd look at them, and if there was English writing, English texting, any English whatsoever, they automatically assumed that those individuals had worked with the U.S. government and killed them on the spot. On the spot. That's what the Taliban was doing. They shut off media while we were still in that country. Like, they, they shut off, like, cell networks and things like that. But as we were attempting to get people out, the Taliban actually took control of that. And that's not something new. They did that when I was in Paktika province. They were in control of all of the uh, cell phone towers and stuff when I was in Paktika province. So they have the ability to do a lot of things in that country, and a lot of things are going underreported. But I'll tell you one thing that is not going underreported in that country. The immigration problem. If you want to draw attention from the international community, enter immigration problems. We saw it in Syria when ISIS went into Syria and when the war kicked off over there. And if you guys remember all the people on boats and stuff that were flooding into other countries, people that were crossing over into Turkey, people are doing everything. Um, Countries in the EU agreed to accept so many of them. And there's this mass immigration crisis. I'm sure a lot of you guys forgot about it. I'm sure a lot of you, if you're watching from Europe, still have these people in your country and are still dealing with this problem. But there's a mass immigration crisis going on out of Afghanistan right now. And, and remind you that the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, it took place in August. And right now I'm reporting this, it's February. So we're not talking about a large time frame here. We're talking about six months, all right? Roughly, not even. Roughly six months Okay, after all troops pull out, we have half the children that are in a food crisis in that country. What the EU has done to combat it, because they don't want to repeat of what's going on in Syria or what happened in Syria. They don't want millions and millions of people flooding into Europe. they're, They're topped off after the last crisis. Everybody's topped off. You know, they're dealing with Russian aggression. They're dealing with all this other crap. The last thing they need is like millions of Afghans looking for homes, which they are. And I'm about to tell you where they're going. So in response, the EU has donated over $1 billion. It's billion with a B. The EU has donated over $1 billion in humanitarian aid to Afghans and neighboring countries who are willing to house them. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of, that's a lot of humanitarian aid that's going in there. $1 billion in humanitarian aid is not enough to solve a problem for that entire country. And, and, a lot of it, and I guarantee you a lot of that humanitarian aid all right, and this is speculation when it goes in there. All that humanitarian aid is getting flown into a couple key locations, more than likely. And the, the EU's ability to distribute that within Afghanistan is severely restricted. So they're counting on people like the Taliban and local nationals to take that food and to distribute it to other locations around the country. All right, it's, it's just not... It's just not practical. It's not going to happen. Guaranteed, what probably is happening is that a lot of that food is going to f- like to feed Taliban fighters. They take tax on just about everything. Like, I want you to picture the Taliban like uh, kind of like the Mexican cartel sitting at the border, and anybody that wants to cross the border can't do it without approval from the cartel, and they have to pay the cartel, and even then they have to go through smuggling and everything else. Pic- picture the Taliban like that. Picture them siphoning everything off the top. Picture them taking little bits and pieces. Picture them doing whatever the hell they want. And oh, by the way, the Taliban is an extremely unregulated force minus like, you know, their their tight inner circle up at the top. There's a lot of people that just stand up and say, hey, I'm Taliban now. I have a gun. You're going to do what I tell you because I'm now the Taliban. That's how it works. So if you think that 
that $1 billion in humanitarian aid from the EU has actually made it to the people and is making any sort of impact. I'm sure it might be within the cities and stuff like that because the Taliban is probably using it for propaganda and show, you know, but other than that, it's, it's not actually putting even a dent in the entire crisis that's going on in that country. So what has the U S done to help? I mean, obviously we put massive sanctions on them. You know, this is the Biden administration. We love our sanctions with the Biden administration. So obviously we put massive sanctions on them. Since October of 2021, the U.S. has donated $782 million in humanitarian aid. The EU, ladies and gentlemen, has donated more to the Afghan problem than the United States has. So October 2021, the U.S. has donated $782 million to help the Afghan citizens. Last month alone, the U.S. gave $308 million in humanitarian aid. So if this aid isn't making it, what are all these people doing? I mean, they're not just going to lay around and starve to death. And, and I, I promise you they're not. I promise you they're not just laying around and starving to death. As a matter of fact, on average per day, 4,000 to 5,000 Afghans are estimated to be crossing a border. And guess which one they're crossing? The Iranian border. Now, with everything that's going on between Iran and Afghanistan, obviously there is not a lot of ways to confirm these numbers. But what you can confirm is that there is a ton of people that are leaving Afghanistan and going into Iran. There's pictures of it. You can see it all over the place. There's there's lots of them that are doing it. So 4,000 to 5,000 people a day are attempting to cross into Iran. Those people face, much like the U.S. border, well, portions of it, because the Iranian border actually has one, a 15-foot high border wall topped with barbed wire. In order to cross that wall and get into Iran, they have to run over, climb up the wall, jump over, get scraped by the barbed wire, and hope not to get caught. When they do get caught, all they're doing is taking them and throwing them back across the border. They're not giving them court dates and asking them for a release. They're not granting them asylum. They're not doing any of that stuff. I don't know any country in the world that would do that. They just take them and they throw them back across the border into Afghanistan. They get back to Afghanistan, then they go and they, they kind of like wait a little bit, let it cool off. Maybe go find a new place and bolt across it again. I saw one report of a guy that has been captured, and maybe this dude just needs to give up and find another job or find a different border, but he's been captured like 40 times trying to cross the border. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So how many people have actually attempted to flee that country since this kicked off in August? Remember, America's the devil. When we were there, Amer you know, Afghans hated us, and they hated everything we provided, and they sided with the Taliban, according to a lot of the so like left media. Right. Afghans hated Americans. Why are we still there? You know, why, why would we still be there? Because Afghans hated us. So from October through the end of January, at least like and, and again, these numbers are hard to grab because of the way the media works in that country. Like they're, they're, it, it's complete and total under like Taliban rule. But at least we know from October through the end of January, at least one million Afghans, not in the north, not in the West, not in the East, but just in the southwestern portion of that country. Over 1 million Afghans have started crossing into Iran. 1 million Afghans from that one portion of the country. There's other places they're going where they are crossing into Tajikistan. They're, they're getting the hell out of there in any way that they can. They really are. They're like any, any route that they can go, they're getting out. But the problem is right now it's wintertime over there. A lot of the routes are closed off. If you're in the south, you're not pushing to the north. In order to do that, they have to basically drive around the entire western half of the country, and even then it's treacherous as hell and costs a lot of money. So they're basically damned. And so you have these people that are, like, you want to talk about, like, mass immigration issue? This is it. Like, it's coming. As soon as that winter lets off in that country, 
the EU is going to have another issue on its hands because all of these surrounding countries are going to be just like Iran and they're going to take them and they're going to throw them right back across the border. So ladies and gentlemen, be prepared for another immigration issue. If you live in Europe, just know it's probably coming. So with all that being said, is there any glimmer of hope in that country? Is there even the slightest glimmer of hope in Afghanistan? Well, according to the Taliban, they own the entire country. According to the Taliban, they have taken over the whole thing. It's, it's all theirs. That's not entirely true. It's not entirely true at all. There is a band of fighters from T Tajikistan, they're Tajiks, um, that is crossing over the border and coming in and attacking and resisting the Taliban. There is also a hole out, and, and, and we, we've known he's been there, and people actually fled to this place. I'm going to tell you guys a story. So there's this place called the Panjir Valley. Most people that have been to Afghanistan have heard of the Panjir Valley. Inside of there is this gentleman named Masood. Masood, that is a, uh, I think that's another story within itself. His father was a very famous person. Like, Masood himself led a huge resistance. Like, his father led a huge resistance against the Russians. And he was basically hailed as a national hero. Two days before the 9-11 attacks, um, he was executed by Al-Qaeda. His son has continued on his legacy, and he is in the Panjir Valley. The Panjir Valley is famous for a lot of things. Mostly it's steep terrain and vast amount of, uh, what do you want to call them, precious gemstones that it produces every year. But it's very treacherous terrain. It's absolutely probably one of the, if you were going to pick a defensive location to hold out, this would be it. There's essentially one way in and one way out of that place. So in, in order to defend, if you just want to hold and not go anywhere, Panjir Valley. Great. Any U.S. troops that have fought in some of these like steep, disgusting valleys that that country holds know that, yeah, they're, they're a pain in the ass to get into. So he's got an estimated couple thousand fighters in the Panjir Valley. Basically, all of the Afghan troops um, that chose not to give up. I did. You know what? We're, we're going to show. There's, there's guys like this. All right. This is an Afghan troop that was told to surrender his gun, and he told them to kiss his ass. He told his commander to kiss his ass and refused to turn his firearm over. Crying. All of those types of people, and again, their numbers, obviously, they're not going to be disclosed, but all of those types of people in the thousands have fled to this place in Panjir, the, the Panjir Valley, and they're holding out. And the Taliban is assaulting them and, and attempting to fight them on a daily basis, even even throughout this weather. And I'm assuming it's it's trickled off a little bit here in the wintertime. But when the summertime comes or when the springtime comes, obviously the freedom of movement is going to be a little bit better, and they're going to hold off, and they're going to be able to fight. So we've got essentially a little bit of resistance that's still going on in that country, a massive humanitarian aid problem. All right, we have a massive immigration problem. We have all of these things. All of, all of, all of these things. And they're human beings, right? These, these people are human beings. We have all of these things that are happening to human beings, all because we decided to make a hasty pullout for a political decision. That's it. That's what happened. So if anything, I would like to tell um, my vets of that country that are looking at it and wondering, was it all for naught? Did we do all of that for nothing? What the hell were we even there for? Well, that crisis that's currently going on, right, there's two things I'm going to leave you with. That crisis that's currently going on with all that humanitarian aid, we absolutely avoided that for a very long time, and people were able to live very long lives. In that country alone, the median lifespan, all right, 
like your average lifespan is 38 years old for an adult male. 38. That's it. That's all you get. 38 years. So in a lot of places, we provided stability for over half of people's lives. That's half an enjoyable life. That is 100% value. The other thing I'm going to leave you with is what's going on in the Panzer Valley. U.S. troops and coalition partners over the years installed something that you cannot take. They installed hope. You cannot take hope away. And there is a massive resistance movement. I guarantee you the longer they hold out, the more that hope is going to spread. You can't kill an idea, ladies and gentlemen. This is the problem that we had, like, to tell you how powerful that is. That's the problem we had with the Taliban, right? This Islamic extremism is an idea. ISIS is an idea. It's all ideas. And we've instilled our own idea. We've instilled an idea of those Afghan people that are currently holding out in that valley. And you can't kill an idea. In order to do it, you have to wipe everybody out. The longer those people hold out, the larger it's going to grow, the more attention they're going to get, and the better it's going to be. So in my opinion, time will tell whether or not that idea is going to get killed off or whether or not it's going to grow and it's going to take over and it's going to solve that issue. That one seed planted just needs a little bit of water and it will grow into a very strong tree. Give it time, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time, thanks for joining me on Speak the Truth Podcast. My name is Matt Tardio. Have a good one. I'm out.